child of God, have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul, answer our prayers. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. High five, pound that neighbor. Lean over there and hug them, would you? All right. We all need a hug, don't we? We're going to be in Job chapter. Oh, blow and kiss. There's a good one. Blow a kiss to your neighbor. There you go. Don't smack them. Just blow. Right. Job 28 is where we will be today. We're going to try to cover some ground. I want to give you three hard truths about wisdom. There's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. There's an old story that's floated around about the favorite course taken at a university. That favorite course was the survey of the New Testament. It was a favorite course because there was no homework, no reading, and no test before the final. The final for 25 years, the same professor always presented the same question for the final, and here it is, describe the missionary journeys of Paul. For 25 years, the same professor asked the same question. There was a young man taking the class by the name of Meathead. He was obviously a star on the football team, and he took the course. A tutor helped him all semester uh, and prepare for that final exam. The day of the test came, meathead ready. He knew everything he ever could know about everything there was to know about Paul's missionary journeys, about Philippi, Thessalonica, about Rome, about Tyre, about Timothy, about Barnabas, about Luke. He was ready. I've probably given you information you weren't even aware of. But when the final exam, exam came and it was passed out, students in the auditorium were aghast. This professor for half a century, for a quarter century, had asked the same question, decided to ask a different question. Instead of Paul's missionary journeys, he says, critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. Shock, shock filled the room. Young man, a, a young man got up, took his blue book, that, it's a little book that was designed to hold the essay, took it, threw it down on the professor's desk. It was empty. He walks out of the room. Student by student by student. He didn't even try to answer the question. Student by student by student left, except for Meathead. Meathead opened his blue book and he began to write. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote. And the professor's assistant left, came back an hour later. Meathead's still writing. Two hours later, Meathead's still writing. For a full three hours, Meathead fills up the blue book. That afternoon, the professor had two stacks of blue books, one on the right, a tall stack of blue empty books, all with a great F. Only one, one single blue book, a big, bold A-plus right on the top. You're right, it was Meathead. What in the world did you write about, said one classmate. He said, read it. And on the first page of the opening sentence, he says, who am I to criticize the Sermon on the Mount? Instead, let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. 
You see, Meathead had discovered wisdom. He had discovered wisdom. Today I want to give you three hard truths about wisdom. Number one, crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. In the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, millions of people in the vicinity of New Orleans began asking very simple questions. They were without power, transportation, food and water. They wanted to know how they were going to survive. After a few days of the conditions deteriorating, the questions were framed by feelings of panic. The crisis left thousands homeless. They were in huge sports arenas. Looters were in the streets. Government agencies unprepared for the magnitude of this crisis. And with every passing day, this crisis intensified and the demands for action grew greater. Steps were taken eventually to alleviate the immediate needs of Katrina's victims, but not before hundreds had died in the aftermath of this storm. And not before worldwide criticism had been levied at leaders who hadn't prepared well enough for the storm. One of the main reasons the storm was so devastating was that a huge percentage of the population didn't evacuate. Despite the mandatory evacuation notice and the precise weather data that showed the strength, the size, and the direction of that coming storm, they stayed. Less than a month later, when Hurricane Rita came ashore on the Texas-Louisiana state line. The aftermath of that storm, not nearly as disastrous. Galveston, Texas, for instance, a coastal city with a population of 58,000, was almost a ghost town a full three days before Rita was scheduled to hit land, land uh, 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 fall. Why? Because the people had learned a lesson from Katrina. Hurricane Katrina intensified hurricane awareness. And so the people responded and they acted from the wisdom that they learned from the previous hurricane. Job. We're talking about Job. Lessons from Job. It must have seemed that life had sent him a triple dose of hurricanes. Back to back to back to back. No warning at all. His possessions disappeared. His the devastating loss of his children and in a short while even his body pummeled by disease and sickness. It took him a week in chapter 2 verse 13. It took him a week to get his voice back. Some of you are struggling with that now, losing that voice. It's not a fun thing when you lose your voice. Especially if you're a preacher. You get paid to talk. And talk and talk and talk. It would be nice if you talked and said something that was worthwhile. I can get an, get an amen, that's all right. Atta boy, I knew somebody would step out there in faith. But he needed, he needed his focus. And in the midst of crisis, it deeply intensified his search for wisdom. In chapter 28, in verse 12, take a look at verse 12. He asks a couple of questions. Where can wisdom be found, Job says? Where does understanding dwell? Job looked throughout the, as he says in, in verse 15, land of the living. He looked in the sea, in the marketplace. 
he, he goes on to say, it cannot be bought with the finest gold, Job said, nor can its price be weighed with silver. The intensity of Job's assessment builds from his first words to his last argument, and they're only matched by the appearance of Almighty God in those closing chapters of the book of Job. If you've never read those, you need to read them. But you need to read all the book of Job. Because don't just read the last chapter. You'll think, man, that's a cruel God getting all over this old boy. But you've got to read up to what's going on when God steps on the scene and makes His statements. A life-threatening crisis came to the home of a 25-year-old pastor. His wife suffered a near-fatal stroke and rushed to the hospital where doctors scrambled to keep her alive. Within hours, they were making decisions that face families every day. Their options included surgery, medical treatment, and prayer. And to make matters worse, the two doctors that were called to tend to her had two radically different courses of action. One proposed immediate surgery. The other warned that that immediate surgery would be the worst of all options. So you can imagine where this young pastor is sitting and what he's having to, to work through. Both of these doctors said the pastor's wife might die if their course of action wasn't taken. So a third doctor comes on the scene, solves the dilemma by arranging a course of treatment acceptable to both of the first two doctors, and within a few months, that course of action proved the wisest decision. She began to recover. You see, on Wednesday, the pastor's most difficult decision was to choose for what was to choose for lunch, what he's going to have for lunch. And on Thursday, he needs to make a life-saving decision for his wife. Crisis intensified their search for wisdom. The second hard truth is that God is our only source of true wisdom. Look at verse 23 of chapter 28 where Job says, He alone knows where it dwells. Speaking of wisdom, only God holds true wisdom. But I think in this particular verse, Job is holding back somewhat, concealing somewhat his frustration, his anger, that God alone holds that. But he says of God that it is our only source of wisdom it won't bring Job or his descendants much comfort, but how do we gain access to that wisdom? Consider the little boy who came home from his first day of school, dropped his little backpack, and quickly settled into the summertime life of ease routine. His mother said, do you have any homework for class tomorrow? He looked at her in disbelief and he said, I have to go back tomorrow. You know, that's what life is, isn't it? You're going to get through today, but you're going to have to put your feet on the ground tomorrow too. Lord willing. Lord willing. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't? <laughs> I thought maybe I'd get more than one hallelujah. I know if I'm punching tickets, you'll wait for the second load. I got you. But we can laugh at a child who can't understand the years-long nature of the educational process, but somehow think we can check in with God on a day of crisis and somehow come away with a lifetime of understanding. 
if you're going to come rushing to God in the midst of crisis, you need to have some track record under your belt. When a man operates on you, or a woman operates on you, whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that they've got just a little bit of experience, that you're not the very first one. It's kind of disconcerting when the doctor says, hey, I've never done this before, but man, I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, man, that's not a good way to go out. And as some say, you kind of like see a little gray on those temples, wouldn't you? Hoping that they've done a few of these. But wisdom is very much like that educational process of this kiddo. The wisdom is the goal of education. It takes years of day-to-day studies, years of reading, learning these skills, applying those skills in every new ways. When I graduated from Dallas Christian College, they interviewed me going out. And I, and I, I've told you this story before. I know I have. But they said, uh, what do you think we taught you since you've been here? And I thought, hmm, trick question. What's going on? I don't know. But see, I scored higher on the Bible knowledge exam coming into college than I did going out of college. So, And they asked me how that happened. I said, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't bode well either to get out of college. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but finally, one of them looked at me. In fact, he'll be here March the 15th, 15th, and 17th to preach for us, Mark Barrier. Mark Barrier looked at me and he said, all we've done is teach you in four years how to study. Now, I left that meeting thinking, I have wasted my time. But, oh, were there were no truer words ever said. Because it's not about the book knowledge that I have. It's about the application of the knowledge that I have. Are you with me? Here we go. Peggy Harrison, when she retired from OMG, she would talk about how she, she said, uh, pray for me. I said, what's going on? She said, Got a new boss. New boss is a young guy. He's always young. About 30 years, 40 years younger than her. And yet she's the one that had to train him how to do his job. And he's the one bringing all the big bucks in with all the education, with all the degrees behind his name. But he hadn't hadn't got any sense at all about what he's supposed to be doing. Amen? That's the key. The more you're in this, the more wisdom you have. The more you live life, the more wisdom you have. And so when a crisis might come, when a crisis might arise, you're going to have to have some time with God and time in His Word. Mahatma Gandhi spoke forcefully to Christians. Listen to what he said. You Christians have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite in it to blow the whole world of civilization to bits, to turn society upside down, to bring peace to this war-torn world but you read it as if it were just a good literature and nothing else. This is the dynamite, the dynamo of God. This is the dynamite. This will bust through where nothing else will. This has the power to save people. This has the power to heal people. This has the power to enlighten people. And what do we do with it? See, mine's maroon, so it blends in with the chair. Color coordinated. Well, well, I picked it up the other day. And that fell off. <laughs> I thought, well, I guess I better get me a new one. Yeah, I've got too much, I've got too much on it. The back's gone. I know some of you look, I don't need to get a nice looking Bible. That's no nasty looking Bible. I've got a lot of mileage in this Bible. You take this one away, I'm going to have to break in a new one. I'm getting too old to break in a new one. Are you with me? Yeah, I can see. Okay, and 
In fact, when I turned 49 and you thought I was 50, <laughs> some of you gave me a new Bible. And it's on my desk. I study with it. I use it. But I don't carry it. I don't know. There's something about this old beat up one. I just think I need to hang on to it a little bit. Are you with me? Because I've got miles to go. I've got some time here. George Barna, a researcher, his group tells us that well over half Americans, uh, American adults, 60%, never read the Bible in a typical week. And a full one-third of those identified themselves as born-again Christians. And they don't read it at all. They don't read it at all. So when people don't need hurricane warnings or don't heed hurricane warnings and mandatory evacuations, they understand the risk they're taking by staying in the aim of a coming storm. People who assume the storms of life aren't coming and who never wrestle with the words of the Bible need to understand the choice that they're making too. You can't form a deep relationship with Almighty God in a short few hours of crisis. We must be about the work of getting to know the God who holds all wisdom and that will only come with a life, long-term, dedicated study of the Word of God. Proverbs 2.5 says, You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When Kenneth Yarger was dying in the hospital, he was in a coma. I will never forget this day. See, pastors have such a... We get such a view of death and dying and leaving here and going to heaven. Kenneth was a powerful man of God. Served God faithfully. Oh my goodness, I don't know how many years. Elder and encourager and mentor. In a coma, I went to the hospital and the family said that he's, he's non-responsive. And I said, well, I just want to go read the Bible to him. Is that okay? Well, of course, Fern says, well, sure, Pastor, if you want to do that. So I went back and, of course, I, I very rarely carry my Bible with me to the hospital because um, I, I, I don't want to be offensive to people. But as I walked in, they always have the Gideon Bible there. <laughs> so I grabbed that Gideon Bible because I knew it's in King James and I knew that's what Kenneth loved. So I sat down beside his bed, and, I, and his hands were just laying there. And I reached over, and I took his hand, and I opened that Gideon Bible to Psalms. And I began to read in Psalms. And when I got to Psalm 23, and I said, The Lord is my shepherd. His hand grabbed my hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, he didn't hear. He's not, he, he didn't hear anything, did he? I said, The Lord is my shepherd shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Are you, are you with me? <laughs> he heard it. He heard it. Didn't live much longer past that time of reading that scripture. But I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Because you see, he understood in the midst of crisis, this is my shepherd. I got you. I got you. I got you. Hard truth number three. Godly wisdom leads directly to godly action. Job knew the sheer, that sheer knowledge about God wasn't enough. Real wisdom leads to action. Look in chapter 28, verse 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. When you understand that you fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear Him, not who can destroy your body, but fear Him, Jesus said, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Born twice.
to die once, bore once to die twice. Hmm, there's a riddle there. Figure it out. Godly wisdom will help you figure it out. But it's ultimately our test of wisdom. Will knowledge of God lead to godly actions? Will all the Bible reading actually result in a changed life? Reading the Bible without applying it to your life is really dangerous. On August the 3rd, 1996, Melvin Hitchens sat on his front porch and he read the Bible. On August, uh, on that day in August, after his Bible reading, he's, the 66-year-old New Orleans resident went into his house. He retrieved a 45 caliber handgun. He went back outside and he shot his neighbor. He killed Donna Jett and, and as she swept her sidewalk and, she, and, and injured Daryl Jett while he was mowing. Family members and neighborhood residents testified that, that Melvin Hitchens and the Jets had a running feud over the care of their yards and the cleanliness of the gutters. But no one had an explanation how a man could put down his Bible and then do something so vile. Positive transformation requires application of God's Word. You can know God. You can know about God, but do you really know God? Amen? And as Christians, we live in a world that needs to understand that. And, and we live in, in the wonderful, as Christians, we also live in the wonderful embrace of grace. The death of Christ on the cross means forgiveness of sin, debts paid, as long as we accept that gift. Will grace make a difference in the way we live? Imagine a newlywed couple. Fresh back from their honeymoon. Married only a week and it's Friday night and the young wife looks up and her husband's getting dressed. Getting dressed for his first date without her. He's going to step out with a good looking gal that he met at work. Now that that young wife is just thrilled to no end that that old boy is fixing to head on out the door and go hook up with a new woman. I, I'm sure that's how it works in marriage counseling. I, I'm still trying to find that one. But, you know, fresh off the honeymoon, and here he goes. Wisdom asks the question, do you understand that a commitment to Christ means you'll have a different lifestyle? Did the vows you took just a week ago mean anything to you, big boy? Did they mean a thing to you? My wife knows how to kill me. There ain't no sense in going out with somebody else besides her. She knows how to kill me. She knows where I sleep. And when I sleep, I'm out. Now, I might be out permanently if I'm not careful. what Job said in Job 27. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. My tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. Throughout his suffering, throughout his long debate about his suffering, Job would not let go of his insistence that he had lived his life in a godly way 
that he would continue to do that. As the worship team comes to help me close, there's a story about a lady named Dee. She grew up in an affluent home in East Tennessee. She came from an affluent but unchurched home. Dee's time at college involved as much wild living as it did studying. And soon her life became a never-ending search for the next party. One weekend, Dee and her friends rented some rooms at a local motel. They set about the usual activities involving drugs and alcohol. Oh, that's right. Our, our children don't do those things. <laughs> I never will forget when I was in Bible college. I had a young couple check into a hotel room across the interstate 30, uh, 635. And when they were discovered, here was their answer as to why did you do this? We just needed time alone to pray. Seemed reasonable. Well, one weekend, Dee and her friends were just having the time of their life, and in this room, uh, they decided they were going to steal as much as they could out of that room. Dee stole the Gideon Bible. Everybody thought that was funny, and so she wins the prize that they were giving away, whatever it was. Well, several weeks later, Dee's life begins to fall apart. She discovered she was pregnant. Abortion seemed the only solution. After all, it had worked before. Her boyfriend left her. She found herself to be all alone. And one night, in the midst of her fear and uncertainty, in the midst of her crisis, she picked up that Bible and that she had stolen and she began to read. She just opened it up and it fell to 1 Samuel and the story of Hannah who desperately wanted a child. It was the first time that Dee had ever read the Bible and the words seemed to take a life of their own. In a short time as she read more of the Bible and as she found Christians ready to help her, Dee accepted Christ as her Savior. And as the years went by, Dee grew deeper in her walk with Christ and by the time her child was a teenager, both mother and daughter were telling their story to groups all around their community. It was crisis that brought Dee to a point of searching for answers. And it was the Bible that took her to the only place where she'd find true wisdom. And immediately that wisdom changed the way Dee lived. Father, I ask you this morning to work a mighty work in the people that are here in this room. God, we need wisdom. We need wisdom, especially in our perilous times that we live today. We need to know that you are who you are, that you say you are. Father, we need to respond to you in a very real and powerful and mighty way. There are, I think it's easy to say, Father, that everybody in this room knows who you are. But how deep do we know that? If a husband and wife get married, and that's it. They never grow and learn about each other. How terrible that relationship is. And how hard it is to maintain. So Father, could we learn from just that example of when we married you at baptism that we're supposed to deepen that relationship. And so Father, today, if somebody has a decision to make of any kind, would you move in them? Encourage them. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this great song together.